Welcome to the Maintenance Mavericks podcast, where we talk about trends in maintenance, reliability, and asset operations. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. And today, I'm super excited to have a new guest with me here on the show, John Miller. John is the founder and CEO of a company called Snack Learning, where he and the team are actively helping develop, upskill, and mentor tomorrow's workforce. We've got over 35 years of experience spanning over a variety of different roles in different industries. As a trainer at heart, John takes every single opportunity to pass on his knowledge and what he's learned to the next generation of our workforce. So welcome to the podcast, John. How are you doing today? Thanks. Uh, doing well. Yeah, looking forward to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Of course. Super excited to have you on. So what we always do, John, is you know have you share a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you were first introduced to this you know, field of maintenance and reliability and how you've spent, it seems like a, a good majority of your career to, to the space and, you know, continuing to help educate this space. So what was that journey like for you? Of course, like, uh, like probably many people, um, I had interests and a desire to learn as a kid. So it all started there. And when I was a kid, I was working on mechanical things, electrical things, fixing, repairing, trying to, uh, you know, just about everything, even uh, model railroading when I was 10 years old taught me electrical and electronics and that those, those aptitudes were recognized by other people, I think before I recognized them myself. And it turned into an interest in uh, troubleshooting. And from there, um, you know, it's just, it's just kept on through the, through the years. And uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of people probably got started that way from early childhood. And I think the, the thing that I like best about it, or what, what I just kind of self-consciously realized was that I got kind of a personal satisfaction out of working with my hands and doing some kind of a skilled trade. So. All right. And, uh, you know, several years later, yeah, I mean, you haven't left the, the industry. And, you know, obviously, I know that you've dedicated, you know, this part of your career and your journey towards helping continue to educate and share all the knowledge that you've gained over the last you know, several years with again, the future generation of our workforce. So, uh, you know, John, I, I obviously love that you're so passionate about helping this next generation of workers. You know, that's ultimately why, you know, we've been so committed towards our community too, because we, we actually share that same passion, John. So obviously love that you're still in the same industry, love that you're um, dedicating this part of your career towards helping educate the future generation. Let's talk about the skills gap. Can you share a little bit more about, you know, how you define what the skills gap is? I mean, we've actually talked about it a few times on the podcast before, but I know you're so passionate about it. What, what's going on right now, John, with the skills gap thing? It's a talent shortage. And, and by that, I'm not talking about people necessarily, but necessarily, but qualified people. So it's not going away. I mean, uh, it's a problem. Businesses have been facing it for years and they'll continue to face it. So I think it takes a different, uh, different mindset in regard to uh, hiring and talent retention. Yeah, that's my business. Um, you know, I'm, 
I'm just doing my little part, right? Uh, like everybody uh, trying to hack away at, at one little aspect of it. And um, I think companies are learning that they need to be more aware of how they themselves can get involved rather than relying on, uh, let's say, other companies, institutions, or, or relying on the candidates themselves to be prepared to walk in their door, companies are realizing they need to jump in and be a part of helping to prepare the candidates and qualify them. We've talked you know, several times about this skills gap. And what we've heard time and time again is that it's not like the number of people wanting to get a job and, and you know, the number of open positions, but to your point, it's about skilled labor. It's about people who have an education, a background, a want to be in this space and stay in this space. And, you know, from what I've heard and what we've seen too, is we're kind of seeing a lot of people move out of this space. People retire from this space, get outside of, you know, the, the industrial workforce and into less stressful jobs, less physically demanding <laughs> jobs. What is the solve here, John? Like what, what is going to help really address this skills gap once and for all, if there is a magic bullet? <laughs> well, I don't know if there is a magic bullet. I look at it this way, that it's a, it's a matter of having the right uh, mix of solutions. It's not, I don't think it's gonna be one solution. Uh, it's too big of a problem. It's been around too long for one thing as a magic bullet to make it all go away. It's going to be something we'll be living with for a long time. But I think it's a matter of hiring managers finding uh, the right mix. And by that, I mean participating in the training or actually what I'd say qualifying the uh, candidates and then also once, once you have candidates, you know, learning how to retain them. And training is a big part of this. Training is a talent retention strategy. Maybe a lot of people don't look at it that way, but it is, that's a part of it as well. So I think it can take many shapes. It can be, you know, apprenticeships, it can be boot camps. it can be instructor-led training, it can be digital. It can be hands-on learning, but there's no one solution. It's um, a matter of finding the right mix that works for your particular business, your organization, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that's really what it does come down to, right? It's like the training, the education, getting more people involved at a you know, earlier part of their career. And you know, what I heard from you, too, is like, it's not just like, you know, trying to poach other people, other companies that have similar skill sets. It's about like being an active participant at the company level and building these apprenticeship programs, getting people, you know, coming out of, let's call it like high school or early, or early college, they essentially train them, skill them up in, in this profession. But I think time and time again, and you, you, you've even alluded to this, John, you know, we haven't this issue has kind of existed for several years now. Do you have any perspective on why this has still been going on? And, you know, we, we've always known that it's an issue. 
part of it is that a lot of boomers are retiring. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a boomer. Uh, I'm not retiring, but you know, I'm a I'm a boomer. I'm one of those, right? One of that one of that group. Um, so there's a lot of that going on, and that leaves a gap because people have. 20, 30, 40, or more sometimes years of experience, depending on the industry. Some some of these skilled trades industries have been around for a long time since the Industrial Revolution and, and so forth. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's the other aspect of it, as, as we've talked before this podcast a little bit about how um, sometimes there's a social stigma associated with certain industries. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily justified, but sometimes there is a social stigma and it depends on who uh, those people who might enter the industry are listening to. You know, are they doing their own due diligence and learning about the industry themselves or are they listening to somebody who maybe doesn't really have a lot of background or maybe no background or no familiarity with a particular industry. And uh, that's not a good thing, of course. So you have, you have a, you know, a number of forces all working together. And as those things happen, you know, of course, technology just keeps climbing and climbing. So the industries change. Um, I think, I think awareness is a big key to it. A, A lot of people, um, just are not aware of uh, the various industries that are out there and what great careers they can be and how they, they themselves might fit into um, a career like that. There's, there's such a vast array of uh, careers today and it, it keeps growing, it seems. So, you know, if you think, think back to a, young, a younger person, Oh, what am I going to do? You know, uh, uh, two, you know, so many choices. Yeah. You mentioned two things. One is like the social stigma. And then two is like the, you know, plethora of different choices out there. And I think one thing that comes directly to mind around the social stigma is like, you know, I, obviously you and I talked about this too, John, like, I love this like physical world, the physical you know, environment. I love being able to like touch something that I make and see it actually in action. But um, I do believe that, you know, our, our industry, you know, manufacturing, heavy assets, in, like industrial jobs does have this like negative social stigma associated with it, that it's like, it's, it's blue collar, it's, it's um, low paying jobs. It's funny. It's like I, I do feel like there's a stigma around uh, not skilled labor, but I think I do believe that there's a lot of mistruth in that as well. Any thoughts on that? I would tell a person who's looking or considering some kind of work in a skilled trades to uh, do your due diligence and really research it. Don't necessarily just listen to somebody who's a naysayer, uh, unless you know that person, you know they've got experience in this industry, then you might be getting some sage advice uh, 
that can be combined with your own research. But the other side of this is that when a person is is young, he just he or she they haven't been they haven't been on this earth real long, not as old as not as long as I have, you know, as as you go on, you learn, you learn things that you wish you knew years ago, just be a lifetime learner. That's, that's one of the main things. And, and that doesn't stop once you get into industry that that has to continue. Uh, That's what I consider myself to be when I'm in a classroom, I'm learning from my students and and the situation around uh, as well as they learning from me. So I think it's just a, a two-way street. And I think um, people don't necessarily or can't necessarily know whether they would like something or even what their aptitudes are without having tried it. I mean, absolutely. And it goes back to this like plethora of different different options and choices now. Yeah, there's so many different professions. And I think even within the last two years, like the options have just expanded even more because what we've we've started seeing is the ability to work from home from a lot of professions now has been made accessible to so many new companies, which now expands your pool, regardless of where you are geographically, expands your pool of potential companies, potential industries to almost an infinite number. And so on that note, John, like I think what I've started to see at least is, you know, the new grads, you know, graduating from college, thinking about what do they want to do next? They often get faced with this dilemma. Do I go work in a physical, you know, environment, in a physical, you know, plant somewhere, whether that's oil gas, whether that's a, you know, wastewater treatment plant, manufacturing plant, where I've got to go commute you know, half an hour to work every day and show up on time and leave at this time and have a very, you know, set schedule? Or do I work from home? And that's a, you know, and, you know, work in my, um, in my bedroom and have the freedom and flexibility oftentimes and not have to commute. And that's oftentimes what I see young people uh, faced with the, the d- dilemma of, of going into one of these skilled trade labors. So, I mean, like any like recommendations, advice to me as a, let's call it like me, if I were a, a new person looking to enter the career, like how do I choose between these two options? Well, again, I, I guess I'd say uh, try to find people and, and connect with people like, including on social media, you know, try to connect with people and, and find out about those industries. If somebody wants to go into the military, for example, you know, which branch are you going to go into? You know, you, do you want to be on the water? Do you want to be on land? You know, do you, do you want to be the last, the first one's in, the last one's out? You know, do you want to be up in the air? There are some differences, right? People might have different uh, ways of looking at it. Do your, do your research. Maybe the question here is like, do you believe that our industry is taking reskilling and upskilling our workforce seriously enough? I see some companies that take upskilling and reskilling very seriously. By that, what I mean is they have dedicated 
people or a department or or even just one person at their company whose job it is to make sure that their workforce is being trained you know as it need to be as they need to be but i've also seen other companies and sad to say there's a lot of them who are falling back backwards or have fallen back they're they're behind in that regard and i i think the problem might have to do with it's, it's kind of a perception right from the top uh, the people at the very top of the organization need to thoroughly understand upskilling and reskilling and training and buy into it. If they look at upskilling or training or technical training as burden and overhead, well, then the, then from their perspective, which I disagree with, but from their perspective, it might be kind of a minimalist uh, type thing that they don't put much effort into it. They haven't fully committed to it yeah. compared to, you know, the, the other company that I mentioned where they've got maybe a training center or at least a training manager that that person doesn't do anything else other than ensure that their personnel, their employees are properly trained and continue to be properly trained. They work with HR to bring in the right candidates. And if they don't, if they can't find uh, enough people that have the right qualifications, well, then they bring them into something like a boot camp or an apprenticeship and give them, you know, on the job training. But their goal is still the same is to get that person up to the speed or the level where they need to be. But see, they are participating in the mix and accepting that responsibility. Whereas other companies, some companies who don't see it that way, uh, they're still waiting for ready-made candidates to come knocking on the door when they post a job. So, so what I hear from that is like, again, the importance of investing and investing early in your people there's some very very successful companies that run these apprenticeship programs where you know you come in basically not knowing anything you run this apprenticeship apprenticeship program you know for a year or two you develop all of these amazing great skills and i've seen a lot of really good success from that but i've also heard some you know failures as well um, and what i mean by failures is not that they're not great at training people, but they train them, they get to a certain point and then they take all of these skills and then lead to the next one. <laughs> obviously, uh, next company. And obviously you run into this paradox, right? And I, it, there's this like famous meme out there, uh, question out there that goes, you know, where you have like, you know, a manager asking the CEO, like, hey, I need to train my people. And the, the challenge is like, what happens if I, train and invest in our people and then they leave and the, the the flip side what's worse yeah exactly what what's what, worse is if you is if you don't train them and they stay exactly right right so i've seen this too over the years i uh, for many years ago already i've seen this where um some companies took the attitude that uh, we're going to treat them like mushrooms. 
You know, we're, we're, we're going to keep them in the dark because if we train them, they're going to leave. Well, I can tell you from being at a major training center, a world-class training center, we had these people coming in from all over the world and you can, you can hear the difference in attitude around the lunch table. Uh, you know, your company does, they do what for you? They actually do that. They, you know, they buy you tools. You mean if you just ask for tools, you get them? You mean you can ask for training? And they'll actually listen to that and give you training and so forth? Man, you know, I've been asking for that for, you know, years and I can't, I can't get this. I can't get that. And what I'm pointing out is it's easy for somebody on the outside to, to look at this and see the difference in top management. And it comes out. And you can, you can just hear it while these guys are sitting next to each other in a training, collective training class, talking about it. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. And, uh, and I know why. It's because of the attitude at the top. I like to encourage companies to have what I call a CLO, uh, a chief learning officer. Yeah. You know, no matter, no matter whether you call that person a training manager or you have a training department or you don't, there needs to be somebody within that organization who has the official responsibility of seeing to it that the people are properly trained. Yeah. I and mean, what I gather from that, John, is like, if you're gonna commit to these things like apprenticeship programs and then commit to, to you know, reskilling, upskilling your, your workforce, it is a lifelong commitment. You're doing this forever for, for your team and your employees. And, and it kind of actually brings me back. And it's like the companies that I think don't do well with these programs that do train for two years and have everyone leave are the ones that you know treat it as you know a one-year apprenticeship, a two-year apprenticeship. And then after that, you know, there's there's no more. But I think the ones yeah. that are the most successful, to your point, John, are the ones that treat this as lifelong, you know, as as lifelong journeys throughout employees at the company. It's people that fully 100% dedicate um, a you know learning officer to the organization, so that it's you know nonstop learning. It's continuous learning throughout their entire career. Right. It's not a one shot and you're done type of thing. And that's why I say uh, upper management has to buy into it. That's absolutely, absolutely required. You could look at, at different companies where they have obviously different management. You'll see differences in attitudes from the top all the way down to the bottom. Uh, is, it, is it burden and overhead, something we want to check off the list and be done with? Well, that's in my opinion, that's the wrong attitude. Or is it something that, um, you know, that we have to keep going, we have to keep maintaining. And if you look at the rate of technology, how can anybody think that training could be a, a one and done type thing in, in today's day and age? How, how could that be possible? <laughs> if only it were. All right. John, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge around this. Yeah, and timely topic around the skills gap and what's going on today. 
Um, what we always do is end our show, our podcast, with a few uh, quick fire set of questions. I'll ask you a question, get your response and thoughts in 20 seconds or less. Ready to jump in? <laughs> I am. Okay, well, let's go. All right. So to kick things off, what's one piece of advice that you would give to a young professional interested in joining this industry? I would say uh, do your due diligence yourself and don't necessarily uh, listen to a naysayer. Find out if somebody's giving you advice, whether they actually have experience in that field. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people, you know, like to give advice, but it comes from, you know, just reading the news or, you know, hearing about it through the grapevine, not fully experiencing it themselves. What is something that you wish more people knew about this, this, this industry? Well, I think uh, the skilled trades are um, kind of under underrated. And, I, you know, I wish people could uh, go ahead 30 years and come back and they would gain just a much greater appreciation for the skilled trades. What I always have liked about them, and I still think this is true today, and I see it from my students in the classroom, is that working with your hands, working in this kind of an industry, you get a, a, a sense of personal satisfaction and pride in workmanship. And, you know, I'd hate to see our nation lose that. This, it's, just, it's just something, uh, something that has a great reward to it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What's uh, what's a, a big mistake in your career that you've learned a ton from? Well, I think for me, it was succumbing to fear. You know, you, uh, you can't do this or or don't do that. Or are you sure you're ready to do this? I don't know. Maybe this, maybe that. And there's a lot of things in life that if you if you listen to that, you know, little monkey or whatever on the shoulder, you know, too often you don't you don't accomplish things that you wished you had accomplished. So that, uh, that's something that I've been dealing with. I have to work harder on myself uh, than a lot of other things in, in the business. Just believe in yourself. And yeah, it's a common theme throughout my life too. Just believe in yourself. And I, I think we're all capable of so much more than, than we originally believe. How about the biggest takeaway that you hope all of our listeners are gonna take from today's discussion? The shortage of qualified workers is here to stay. It's, it's something that's not going away. It's, it's developed over you know, many, many years. And it's, it's something we're going to be dealing with. So hiring managers especially and HR uh, need to be aware of creating the right mix of solutions for not just talent acquisition, but also talent retention. And lastly, John, can you share with all of our listeners the different ways that they can connect with you and follow you on your journey? Sure. Um, uh, the best way is to go to our website, which is snacklearning.tech. That's .tech. And I'm also on LinkedIn, or you can send an email to jmiller at snacklearning.tech. All right. Thank you again, John, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's episode of the Maintenance Mavericks podcast. My name is Ryan. I'm the host. 
and also the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can connect with me. I'm super active on LinkedIn, as is John. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode, and I look forward to connecting with you all soon. Until next time, thank you again, John. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you.